I'm John Hall, and this is Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. And this is Samantha Lee and Stephen Basu of Hopewell Brewing in Chicago. How we operate in the world, how we're neighbors, how we are contributing to Chicago. Um, It is with true diversity in mind, and it is with true inclusion in mind. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer. I'm John Hall, and this week's show is back in Chicago with two of the three co-founders of Hopewell Brewing. But first, this episode is brought to you by Cigar City Brewing. I've known the folks behind the brewery since almost back to when it opened in 2007, and over the years, I've had the chance to visit Tampa during their annual Kunapu Day Festival. Yes, it is a day of big imperial stouts, but it's also a chance to try beers from around the country poured by the brewers themselves. I know we're living in an age of small boutique beer gatherings, but there's still a lot of fun to be had at the big festivals, and Hunapu should be on your list. Mark your calendar for March 13th, 2020 at the Amelie Arena in Tampa, and there'll be over 100 breweries from far and wide pouring their beers there. It is a true craft experience for all beer drinkers. Thanks to them for the support. When I first started drinking, I remember being told by an older colleague that there were three things you didn't talk about at the bar. Politics, sex, and religion. Times have obviously changed. Since the 2016 presidential election, politics has dominated the national conversation, and it's not always polite. Businesses of all sizes have struggled to maintain the right tone when talking about their political beliefs, if they do it at all, because they don't want to alienate customers. So when I sat down with Samantha Lee and Stephen Basu a few weeks ago, I was surprised at how candid they were about politics and their beliefs. But it becomes clear pretty quickly that their beliefs, backgrounds, and passions are what make Hopewell Brewing the brewery that it is. Don't worry, we do talk about the beer. But I did start off by asking them about where the name of the brewery comes from and what it means in today's day and age. Here's our conversation. Good question, and I think our my answer sort of changes on how I'm feeling. Um, but it is because it is an emo, it's an emotional name, so we wanted Hopewell to be something that a lot of people could take ownership over. It doesn't have an inherent meaning behind it. It's not over the head with it, it's not um, uh, sort of apparent from the name that we make beer necessarily because we want people to be able to come in and, and sort of own the name and the vibe and, and their experience with us. Um, really, it's two positive words smushed together. Uh, so that's really the intention behind it is to make feel, people feel really um, optimistic about, um, about being here and about drinking beer here. We're an optimistic company, so I think we're, we're often named after that optimism. So this morning, actually, as I was coming into work, I was thinking about how I wanted to be optimistic today and, and approach my work today with, with a level of optimism. And, and I was feeling a little bit like, oh, there's so much to do and et cetera, but wanted to feel um, hopeful and, and sort of ambitious about about what we were going to do today and what I wanted to achieve today, what, what we think about in terms of our ambitions is Hopewell. Um, it is a word rooted in the Midwest, but we don't really think about it as being named after anything specific. It's more that optimism that we're, we're trying to achieve with the name. Is that something that's missing in beer right now? Optimism? Hmm. You're nodding your head. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting time for beer coming off of the um, the uh, <laughs> hard seltzer summer. Um, it kind of, I think, 
people saw it coming, but uh, never in never in the same way that they uh, they truly saw it this this summer. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think people need optimism. That's part of the reason people like craft beer is, you know, they want, uh, first of all, something tasty. That's why people drink craft beer, but they also want stories. People want to hear how it's made, who it's made by. And um, I think too often that story is a little direct. Um, so you might notice we didn't name ourselves the Barley Hop Brewery. <laughs> yeah. Um, we that wanted, name is probably already taken. Yeah, yeah probably. So, yeah. yeah, we didn't even check. Um, but we want it, you know, to capture that sense of optimism, to capture a sense of levity, um, to capture a feeling, a vibe about uh, our our brand, our the beers that we make, our tap room space. We try to keep um, that in mind in, in everything we do at Hopewell. Mm-hmm. When you use the words like optimism, and you use, you know, when you're thinking about acting positively, there there's something about this particular tap room. And so we're sitting in here right now, it's, you're not open to the public just yet, but uh, you, know, you have this uh, uh, large glass window that, that faces into uh, to your cellar. Uh, one of the tanks has googly eyes on it, which is uh, this sort of fun thing, but it's this you know, wide, bright, airy space that, I don't know, for, for me, like even just like walking in from the hustle of the city just now, like it, it's sort of breathing an air of relief a little bit like it, it has this sort of zen like calm to it mm-hmm. and there's so many breweries that exist these days that have this sort of like traditional mm-hmm. brewery model you know they open up these days and it's all these you know metallic chairs and edison bulbs and mm-hmm. you know all, all these other and that's yeah. fine like because yeah. it, it, it's kind yeah. of fun but like but you obviously thought a lot about the aesthetics mm-hmm. of of the of mm-hmm. of the brewery as well yeah we did, and um, we, th- we thought a lot about space before we opened. Um, space is very personal. Everyone has their own interaction with a physical space. Um, so we wanted to be sure that it was truly welcoming to all. If, it, if it's truly part of our mission to be a welcoming company, um, it has to start for us because we opened the tap room along with the brewery. So we, we self-distroed from the beginning, and we opened the tap room the same week. Wow. Um, and so we, it was important to us that both speak with each week. other. Yeah. It was a crazy week. Yeah, we got our liquor license that, that day, too. Um, and so it was important to us that someone can walk in here. Maybe they're not a craft beer drinker, and often the folks who walk into our taproom are not. They don't consider themselves experts in any way. Um, so we wanted to create a space where people feel comfortable asking the questions. Our, our staff here are very welcoming in that regard. Um, we also don't want to be too precious about beer, so that's the googly eyes for yeah. you. Um, because ultimately, we know that while people are here to enjoy beer, our beer, we know that um, you're often meeting up with friends, or maybe you brought a book with you, or maybe you wanted to finish up some work, you're having a birthday party. You're really coming here for another reason, not, not just to sort of pontificate on the beer itself. Um, so that's it. we hope that we can create that third space for people. Yeah, and I mean the thing that that strikes me is as I'm looking around and looking at the walls and everything. So you have mm-hmm. local artists uh, who are showcasing their work as well, but it, it's mm-hmm. it's sparsely decorated. You know, there's like mm-hmm. there's some fun you know plants mm-hmm. around and you know, but there's there's not a mm-hmm. lot to sort of mm-hmm. uh, draw you away from 
either being in a conversation with people mm -hmm. or being alone with a book or, or whatever. And um, there's no televisions. And that's oh, yeah. awesome. <laughs> like, that's my yeah. biggest pet peeve yeah. in a brewery because I'm the type of person where if a TV is on, I don't care how interesting the conversation, I'm sort of like the moth to the flame where yeah. it's just like, oh, wow, I never knew I needed to watch, you know, say yes to the dress in a brewery yeah. right now, but I can't turn my eyes away from it. Um, I guess that's sort of like that 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 mm. speaks into it as well. And you have a projector obviously. Mm -hmm. Like you can show yeah. things if yeah. you want to. It's mostly for Halloween. Okay. That's what we <laughs> we really? use it for Halloween. <laughs> yeah. In what way? Um like we'll put scary movies on or this year actually our theme is outer space. So I'm I am guessing we're going to do uh some sort of space galaxy thing. But <laughs> we don't you guys use are it. still working that out. Yeah. yeah, we're working out the theme. <laughs> yeah, we uh I think we were told by so many people before we opened uh, that we'd need TVs and asked you know, probably 50 times what kind of cable package we were getting. And, you know, the answer is always, we'll be all right. We'll be fine. And I think, um, I, I mean, people, people don't come here to watch TV. And honestly, we sell enough beer to bars that have plenty of TVs and sports packages that, you know, we, we can send them down the street to any number of bars. But um, we use the projector sparingly. I, I mean, it's good for private events when we do them but mm -hmm. yeah um we showed i don't know we showed elections um right that was, that was one of our rough night yeah it was uh, a rough night it was one of our busiest nights too. okay people showing up in full-on pantsuits uh okay. to watch the elections this is 2016 uh-huh um and it was so busy and there was so much optimism people came here for that there are groups that we have a lot of regulars who came in um to watch the election coverage with us um and a lot of people we recognized. Our family came in, and it obviously ended horribly. And people were on the ground. Our regulars were on the ground here, crying. Um, it was a, it was really um, it was early on in our business too, in our first year. So it was sort of a, a crazy way to start our year. Yeah. Our our like full one year as a business. Yeah. And I mean, even just bringing that up unprompted, yeah. I mean, it, it's something that obviously mm -hmm. then still weighs on you guys. It's still something that's part of, I mean, one mm -hmm. part of your history, but just like, mm -hmm. you know, seems to be tough to reconcile with, I guess. Yeah. Or and just, yeah. And we're, we're lucky that we're, we are in, I think, um, so we got asked actually at the, the um, brewery accelerator mm -hmm. about how we juggle, um, being politically active or donating and, and working with um, nonprofits that we align personally with um, and how we juggle that with maybe alienating customers potentially. But, and my answer was, well, my situation here, or our situation here in Chicago is going to be different than your situation in rural Pennsylvania. Sure. And so we do have that luxury of, of having a community around us that responds really well to that kind of engagement and activism where we can really be uh, forthright in our personal, you know, political choices. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing, though, is, mm. and this is such a new and modern thing for breweries mm. today, mm. because when you do have owners that are taking political stances, mm. there's still going to be 50% of the people mm. who are going to disagree or find a way. And it's not mm. necessarily just, and, and I'm curious to sort of unpack this a little bit of 
there's one part of it where yes like the local community here in Chicago is going to support you mm -hmm. but then I also imagine that like if word gets out that you're doing something for yeah. a, a charity or cause mm -hmm. or something mm -hmm. that you know the other half of the country doesn't like right. you know that you're going to get hit online or mm -hmm. you know yeah. negative Yelp reviews mm -hmm. or you know like, like the yeah. trolls like kind right. of coming out as well yeah right I mean that's yeah. but that's sort of something to reconcile with but like yeah. at the end of the day it's you're still you know the register is still full and the tap room is still full and it's yeah. you know but is it tough to sort of break away from some of that noise sometimes of you know mm. because I, I think we yeah. have become so fractured mm. and you know beer used to be a safe space mm -hmm. and you know I used to say like beer doesn't know politics it doesn't know mm -hmm. gender it doesn't know religion mm -hmm. but more and more mm -hmm. I think we're seeing yeah. you know you know, I, there was boycotts of Yingling when mm. uh, uh, Dick Yingling decided to, to endorse Trump before right. the, the election. Right. And you yeah. know, people were screaming and yelling. Yeah. Or, you know, there's been breweries that have been hosting, you know, alt-right events or, right. you know, whatever. Yeah. 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 So I think um, our, our perspective when we opened is that there is no truly um, objective space or unbiased space. It can feel that way if you're part of a community that's homogenous, maybe, or, or if you, you know, I'm not a white man, um, and so breweries have never felt necessarily like non-gendered neutral spaces. They've all, always felt like white male spaces. Always? Yeah. Okay. Um, they, they didn't necessarily feel like they were built for someone like me in mind. Um, so when we think about how we operate in the world, how we're neighbors, how we are contributing to Chicago. Um, it is with true diversity in mind and it is with true inclusion in mind, um, given our discussion about our physical space, about um, how we work with charitable organizations. Um, because it is, you know, that's just like, that's my personal feeling is that there's no such thing as a neutral space, really. Um, everything is politics. Everything is personal. Um, so, to to, I think the notion that it isn't is very is very much entrenched in what was, uh, what did exist before. Um, so well, it was the thing where you didn't want to alienate a client base. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was breweries for for the most part yeah. never took political stances. Yeah. You know, because you know they they wanted everybody to drink their beer, especially like in the yeah. early days, right. where it's like you know they were up against the biggest players that were out there, yeah. and you know. But now there's brewery packs, and now yeah. there's breweries, you mm -hmm. know, like you know who yeah. endorse political candidates and 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 right. things like that. But yeah, like, and and so I guess like we don't. We don't get in that. I mean, we're too small of a company. We're a very small company. Um, but, and we don't endorse candidates. We don't do that kind of work. It's much more, we, we are, the three of us are social justice minded. Okay. And so we want to be sure that that's, we, we remain true to that. And I, that was my previous work before starting Hopewell. Um, and so it's hard for me to rewire. Sure. And, and not, and not engage that way. And, and. When we opened, I had no idea that we would get so many requests for beer donations, for not, for galas, and that's and the benefits. one thing that doesn't come up all that much yeah. is the constant hit of you know, hey, I just need a keg for my right. Yeah. And so we get uh, requests for you know, like a 
a condo building opening, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, those guys really need it. Yeah, there. so <laughs> I would prefer to give our beer to a mental health nonprofit or to reproductive justice nonprofit, things that we all we align with because we don't have much money. Right. Personally, we don't have much money to donate either, but we have, if we can help with products, which helps them raise money, yeah. um, then that's great. And that's, that's one simple thing we can do. And, and I think yeah. that's part of what we set out to do when we opened Hopewell. Um, I mean, we all, we all had careers before this, but when we opened a small business, we wanted to be more than just making, you know, it's not just a product. It's not just making beer. We're, we're starting a company. So the company has values and those values are progressive values. Um, I don't think it's that brave of a stance or different of a stance. It's just kind of how, how we align. Um, so anytime that we can, uh, you know, put whatever weight, even if it's a, a small donation or um, just some awareness behind uh, a cause or an organization, um, you know, something like reproductive justice that's getting eroded in all the states around Illinois, that seems like something that's worth our time. And, you know, we're not like Yingling. We don't have a national footprint. We're a self-distributing brewery in one city. So <laughs> I guess that's our privilege to be able to kind of wear our progressive values out maybe it hurts us if we try to go over into indiana i don't know um but it's kind of just where hopewell is and we're we're pretty lucky to be able to not have to shy away from it and that's the business that we're hoping to build too that's affected how we think about our growth we don't want to be a yingling or you know or even we don't necessarily strive to be um like the next regional brewery uh which i think when we were talking about optimism earlier uh I don't think you can necessarily be that optimistic about being the next regional brewery in wherever you are, because those numbers don't look great for most people. Right. Um, but there, but there's this inherent desire that I think mm -hmm. a lot of people carry when you have a business of, you know, like let's grow it to be as big as it can, mm. or you know, it's sort mm. of like this American, yeah. you know, the, yeah. like the American business yeah, yeah. dream yeah. is. Right. But beer is, I think, different in a lot of ways, and it sounds like to me that you're you're more thinking about like, okay, like, well, what can we manage, mm -hmm. and yep. you know, stay in a footprint, and you know, keep the lights on, and employees paid, and right. and, and doing what you want to, right. and and that's a perfectly satisfactory way oh, to live. Absolutely, work. I think absolutely. We, we remind ourselves pretty often that the goal is not to grow for growth's sake. That's that's not a goal. The goal is to, you know, grow the company so that we can pay people better so we can make the things that we want so we can you know make more interesting things um, or maybe we can hire and you know all live a, a better life and just you know grow growth isn't the goal it's all it's it's mm -hmm. ancillary to everything else you want out of a small business right we'll get right back to the conversation in just a brief moment but first i wanted to thank this episode's sponsor cigar city brewing their support helps keep the lights on here, and as you look towards the rapidly approaching new year, you should get Hunapu Day on your beer travel list. This year, it's March 13th, 2020 in Tampa, and you can learn more at cigarcitybrewing.com slash events. And now, back to my conversation with Samantha Lee and Stephen Basu, recorded at the Hopewell Brewing Company in Chicago. I mean, ultimately, it comes also down to, especially in this in, in this industry, is making the beers that you want to make mm -hmm. and the beers that you hope that, you know, the people who walk through the door will enjoy drinking. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like, you guys have done what I think is some really cool things uh, with your beers. I've, I've been mm -hmm. fortunate to, to, to try a bunch. Mm -hmm. Like, I really dig your pale ales. Um, 
You guys did Little Buddy, mm -hmm. uh, which got a lot of uh, well-deserved yeah. press yeah. because you're putting it in these uh, their eight-ounce cans. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's just it's such yeah. like a fun size as yeah. well, and like and it's the clever name and clever marketing and, yeah. and everything. Um, but then you're also doing you know some fun spontaneous beers mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you know some fun uh, you know like like fruited beers. What's your approach when mm. you're trying to look at your overall beer portfolio? Mm. Like, you know, do you want to be known as mm -hmm. an X kind of brewer or mm. what's the, yeah. what's the philosophy with that? It's, it's funny you asked that today because we just wrapped up a conversation before you got here with um, our team about our portfolio and, and we, we try to be thoughtful and intentional about how we're rolling out beers, but often it is like, hey, this would taste good. We haven't made this thing quite yet. Let's try this. Um, or there's, hey, we haven't used spelt before. Let's try using spelt. So there is an element, because we are still small, there's an element of just personal personal taste. Um, so you said small twice now, so yeah. I just want to be clear. Yeah. So how many barrels are you guys doing? Oh, yeah. Doing? So we'll hit about 3,000 this year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And we're in our fourth year. Okay. Or, yes, we're in our fourth year right okay. now. Okay. Yeah. So small, but... Not teeny tiny. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say three thousand is nothing to yeah. shy oh, away from. Yeah. yeah, and it feels like a lot when we're when we're moving the beer ourselves. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> our self destroyed team doesn't feel like it's small. Uh huh. Um, but uh, yeah, but you still have the ability to kind of play around with things. Yeah, we're right. We're at the size where we can just play around and experiment. We can do a twenty barrel batch here and there of something fun. Um, the through line will always be. Um, we don't shy away from the term approachable because we do want our beers to be enjoyable. We're not, we're not trying to um, necessarily, we're not going for a shock value. Um, you won't really see us use crazy, crazy adjuncts. Um, we'll play around with fruit and different types of grain and that kind of thing and botanicals here and there. Um, but we keep it pretty conservative. We, we, we approach these ingredients conservatively. We have to we like to think that there's a reason to add anything. Um, we do a series of beers that we do. I think we're all out. Uh, we like Pilsners a lot, so we do a Pilsner series where we'll explore um, various iterations of Pilsners. We'll either do unfiltered, we'll do a Czech style. Um, what was the last one we did? We did uh, through line. Uh, through line pills that used Wakatu, which yeah. is a saws originally grown in a new location. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, we do an off, off black is our uh, black, pills. black pills or yeah. Schwartz beer. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we found ourselves in a great spot this year because we are fully utilizing our brewery. We're brewing as fast as we possibly can um, and not quite able to keep up. So we've had to pull back on sales a little bit. Um, but the plus side, it means that pretty much anything we're making, we know with confidence that we can sell. So um, we actually, earlier this summer, decided to temporarily discontinue our IPA, mm -hmm. which I don't know if that's a common <laughs> choice. If there's brewers who are listening to this right now, everybody's going, wait, wait a minute. Right. Right. <laughs> Back um, away and slowly. It, and, yeah. it, and it sold well. Um, and we liked the beer. Um, there were just other things that we wanted to do that felt more like Hopewell uh, and felt more like um, kind of where we want to continue mm -hmm. uh, Hopewell to go. So It gave more room for us to explore this Pilsner series and different IPAs. Where We, we have a, an IPA on called Pure Michigan, 
because we use Michigan ingredients. Okay. Um, and it's the state's tag. I was going to say, I was going to say, like, line. have you gotten yeah. the C and D from the, we have from the Michigan it's government? Only, it's draft yeah. only. So. Okay. <laughs> it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're saying like mental note to yeah. call the attorney after <laughs> yeah. this is over. Yeah. Um, but it it gives us space to experiment and do the things we want, and we know that we'll be able to sell it um, because one, it has to be good. We can't just sell anything. Sure. Um, but yeah, it, it was a tough call to discontinue the IPA, and it was sort of a long time coming. Like our tanks are tied up, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, we can we can just do so much more now. It's like a sense of freedom when you don't tie yourself to to a thing that you thought you had to do all the time, and then you realize, oh, I we were the one getting in our own way when you let go of some of those things. But I, I think I'm, I'm really curious to hear the thought process on that because there's so many breweries who, if they open up today, they've been told you have to make an IPA. Mm-hmm. Like you have to have something to, to rely on. It's mm-hmm. you know, the best-selling category in craft uh, mm-hmm. you know, after uh, hard seltzer. And um, it's, uh, you know, it, but it's one of these things mm-hmm. like where people, it, they're going to expect it from a craft brewery, an independent brewery, whatever, to come up with that decision and saying like, well, no, we're going to go and, you know, mess around with some other stuff. Like seems mm-hmm. like it's going against, yeah. you know, what the, the so-called experts are, are yeah. yelling about. Yeah. Well, we started with it. And so. I, I think that's part of where we found ourselves this year is basically if we know everything we're making that we could find a good home and people are going to enjoy it, then, um, you know, why bother having this year-round IPA that we admittedly like, um, but we have so many other things we want to do, like just a, like a delightful, elegant, soft pilsner. You know, that's something we can all get behind too. And so if we can make space for ideas like that, um, it's kind of... The direction we'd rather go. Uh, we 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 obviously have year-round beers, core beers, um, because we have you know plenty of draft lines around the city where we want to be able to hold that, and um, rather than have to go to them every single week and say we have a new thing. Um, but when we opened, we had a more traditional model. We had like five core beers, and we said mm. this will be our beers, and then each season will come out with seasonals and it looked like a very <laughs> but that's but that's the traditional like you need that right. for your business plan right yeah. you need that yes. to talk yes. to investors and be yes. like this is what we're going to have and this is what the market right. says right. but then the reality is i mean every brewer i've ever yeah. talked to says like we haven't looked at our business plan since you know day one and if we looked at it now we'd just sort of laugh oh, at yeah. ourselves yeah. yeah i mean we have a we bought a canning line about a year ago that was not in our business plan that we would have a canning line this early on or that we would have it here um, because we are in a very dense neighborhood in Chicago. It's yeah. not the easiest for production, um, but we need it. We, we decided we needed it. And so, yeah, the business plan, some, some elements are there, but uh, a lot has changed. A lot has changed. And we've we've been wrong about almost we've been wrong about almost everything you can in opening a business, but I think that's true with most small business yeah. owners. Yeah, I mean it, it's just learning by experience is is I think the best way. But you brought up this this whole thing about pilsners, right? And I mean Chicago, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the the great beer drinking cities in America, and I, I I've loved coming here. Uh, over the years and you know like drinking good beers and i can get world-class ipas i can get mm. world-class you know saisons and you know there's mm. some breweries that have been doing some really cool things for you know really long time you know i think of like what pete crowley has been doing down at haymarket forever uh you know now and like you know his belgian inspired beers and everything else like that but like 
it's still very much a logger town. Mm. And sort of that, that shift where you're saying that you're going into that and, and, and pushing that forward a little bit more. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just giving the people what they want, isn't it? I think in some ways, yes. I mean, you talk about... But if not, also, I mean, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm not I here mean, to, you know, be all-knowing because I'm not. Lager and Pilsner are obviously the biggest category of beer in the world. Right. Um, not the biggest for craft, but um, I don't think it's a hard thing to say people are going to enjoy drinking a Pilsner. Um, I think the difference with Hopewell and how we approach it is we're not... Uh, traditional is not a word we use often here. Um, and if it is a word that's mentioned, it's most often um, in a negative sense in that we're not looking to follow tradition and stop there. Um, I think the way things were done 150 years ago in Germany is a great starting point, um, but I think that's a poor place to end your thought process. Um, I mean, the guys at rather... Dovetail might, might fight you oh, on that. Oh, I know, but and, it's, and yeah. shout out to Dovetail. They're making delicious beers, and like their whole thing is doing uh, whatever beer they're doing in a very traditional sense, yeah. um, and they execute really well. We love those beers. Uh, it's not what we set out to do here. We'd rather make uh, Pilsners um, in a more modern way, or if we're going to do a hoppy lager, um, it's not going to look like a lager made 100 years ago, 150 years ago. So, all right, so I'm, I'm always curious about this because we hear the term disruptor or there's, you know, people who are trying to change the game or, you know, move things forward. And I think it can be tough in the moment to actually see if that gamble is going to pay off. You know, you, you, the example I've used in the, in the past is Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, which is, I think, 32 IBUs. But in 1980... Like, that was insanity. And people were like, this, this beer is much too hoppy. 32 IBUs, who's ever going to do something like that? But I'm, I'm, I'm curious of, like, when you are innovating on a beer or when you're not going to be traditional anymore or when you're looking to, um, you know, change things up a little bit. I, I'm, I'm, are you actively thinking about mm. how this will be five years from now? Or is mm. it just we're doing this right now in this moment and we'll see where it goes. Like, are you trying to, like, is it looking into the crystal ball or is it more just like, you know, because yeah. I don't know if Ken Grossman ever actually thought that, like, he was going to change yeah. the beer world with pale ale. Like, right. I think you all hope in the back of your mind, but. Yeah. Um, I think it's always a conversation. I, we, it's still early on in our business where we um, have brought some beers back and some have only been made once. Uh, we do hope that there's longevity in in some of the beers we make, but we also try not to put too much weight behind um, our particular style that we're making. I think the days of something like a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale changing the course of beer in general, not just craft beer, just beer, period, um, It's it just looks different now. If you're going to change the game in a certain way, it's just going to look different. I, I don't think, I don't for us, and I don't think a single pale ale that we put out is going to change the course of our business or the course of craft beer. Um, and maybe it's more of a portfolio-wide approach, like how how the entire picture comes together. That we're hoping that that's that is what propels us forward, um, and that continues with us. We we love the beer that we're making now, and so we hope that 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 a lot of that continues with us, that 
Um, you know, my, one of my favorite beers that we're sold out of, I keep referring to sold out beers, Ultra Glow, <laughs> yeah, Ultra Glow is a dry hop saison. Um, and, and that one we made as a sort of a one-off, like, oh, let's try making this. Like, it's got 20% rice. We'll see what that does. And we've brought it back multiple times now. And so it's turned into a thing that we bring back. And so a lot of it starts out with, you know, just experimentation. And then we get good responses. We personally get really into the beers. Like, oh, let's keep making it. Um, so that's generally how it's been happening. Um, once in a while, we set out to, to make something that will last for a really long time, like the Little Buddies. Mm-hmm. Um, Ride or Die is our pale ale. Yeah. Um, those we set out to make. We, we craft those to be just like hard hitters. Um, Ride or Die. I mean, the name sure. sort of speaks to it, itself. It, it, yeah. <laughs> Self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. you hope. Yeah. 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 So there are certain instances like that, but generally it's sort of, we feel it out. I think, I think as a broader kind of question, not just about individual beers, but about our company um, or small breweries in general, I think, uh, I think the goal is different now, right? Or at least the landscape is different. We, you know, we could try to make a beer and, you know, grow it to a regional or national um, using Sierra Nevada as an example. I mean, Mm -hmm. I doubt Ken had an idea about what he was really setting out um, to to do to make you know two massive breweries coast to coast and uh, you know be supplying the entire world with with pale ale. I mean, yeah, that, that's that's amazing. Um, we didn't start Hopewell with those goals. You know, we're a small self-distributing brewery in one city in one state. Um, you know, we're about halfway in Illinois. We're about halfway to a self-distro cap in which we'd have to either give up our self-distribution and keep growing or kind of just self-cap ourselves there. Um, We could also still sell some beer in other states and grow that way, but um, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that we get to that cap, we sell our distro, and then we just keep growing. I mean, we might get to that point and say, this is pretty great. You know, we're making a good life here. We're giving some good jobs. People enjoy hope well. You know, maybe we just keep doing that. Um, I, I think it's just kind of the goals of what you're setting out to do. On the beer front, though, with the, with the creativity, as you're thinking about dry hop saisons or you're thinking about, you know, uh, uh, discontinuing an IPA or you're thinking about new ingredients that you want to use, and, and you used the word restraint before, mm. I think, you know, to talk about, like, you know, if you're brewing with a special ingredient or mm. something, um, you know, it's not necessarily going to be overloaded with it. Mm. And I think, you know, the, the, the trend these days is sort of the, you know, more is more mm. and more is better mm-hmm. kind of thing sometimes. But I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to, you know, the creative process as well, because the larger you get sometimes, and if you have a solid hit on your hands, it can be really difficult if you are even in the 3000 barrel range to experiment mm. in a meaningful way. But it, it, it strikes me that this is something that is keenly important to the both of you mm-hmm. that like you're able to do the experimentations in the way that you want to do them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually just before we started this, uh, this conversation, we were sitting down with uh, most of our team um, and talking about, you know, going forward in the next couple of months, all of a sudden the production schedule looks like we're going to be pretty much just trying to keep up with our core beers, our year round beers. Um, which is great. It means that Ride or Die, our pale ale, is selling well. It means Little Buddy is, is catching on doing well. Um, but 
that also means that we're putting a pause on anything else. So the kind of trade-off is either we pull back on some of those, make sure our customers are supplied that, that you know, have that beer on, you know, we work hard for those relationships, but let's stop going out and trying to sell more of that beer. Let's actually, you know, we're out now. We're going to keep it on allocation, keep existing customers, but let's force ourselves to brew some other things. Um, our, our setup, it's, it's pretty small, but we have two single barrel fermenters. So those fermenters are there. Uh, I'm sorry, single batch fermenters. <laughs> okay. Not single. Not single, <laughs> single batch, which means that it's, it's basically forcing us to do a single batch into that fermenter um, rather than scaling up a volume to do something that um, we can get a little more efficiency on. Um, and we have those because we want to force ourselves to use those tanks to brew new things, uh, or if not new, to bring back something that we really enjoyed and maybe make a couple tweaks to it. Um, so um, we're kind of weighing some fun options right now. Like we want to do a spelt table ale um, I don't know if that's the smartest idea doing like a 3% table beer going into winter. Um, but you know, we might just do it. Um, it's, it, we're, we're not necessarily tied to having to do what we're already doing. And we're finding that to be, like you said, a kind of a constant conversation and having to remind ourselves that's not why we got into this. We could probably be doing all sorts of other things as a career, but we started this, this brewery so that we could actually, you know, have a little fun. Yeah. And we all start. So we started this when we were all, we're still young people and we were younger when, (laughs) and we were younger when we started. (laughs) Um, so we really have to look at this long term. I mean, we've got a very long lease here. We don't own the property, but we have a long lease. Um, so we, we definitely think about it on a personal level, like, all right, what do we want to do for the rest of our lives? We don't, we don't necessarily want to make so much pale ale that that's all that's all we can think about and there's like tin tackers with our pale ale logo on it that's not that's not who we are it's and it's not maybe it's not even possible anymore yeah in the craft beer industry so why even create that as an ambition um and it's more interesting to us to to fantasize about the different directions our business can go maybe one day we'll open up another thing maybe we'll uh, open another location. We, we're over a basement here. Uh, maybe we do a crazy secret bar in the basement. There, we have many, many, many years. You mean there's not already a secret bar there's in the not. basement? It's, I was misled. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Who is the guy selling passes outside <laughs> yeah. to? Uh, Don't trust him. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah. was. Uh, it's like the old high school thing of like, oh, you want to buy an elevator pass? <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, for the for the pool on the roof. Um, <laughs> one, of, I mean. So packaging has been one of these things that you guys have played with a little bit. So you said you put in a canning line much mm. sooner than you ever thought that, that you would. And obviously you have the little buddy mm. uh, in the eight ounce cans, which is, which is kind of cool. But you're also doing clear glass mm. bottles mm-hmm. for some of your beers as well. And when mm-hmm. I first you know, got a sample of yeah. that in the mail from you guys, like I, I think I emailed you being yeah. like, so I'm really yeah. confused here yeah. because we've been led for a really long time to believe that clear yeah. is just a terrible option. Right. Um, you know, in, in the craft space. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you can speak to the process of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, we think neon tastes pretty good. So, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the one beer we have in clear glass right now is a beer called neon. It's actually going to become a series. Um, but the first one was neon raspberry plum. So this was born out of kind of the same idea we were just talking about of, uh, we had all these ideas of things we want to do and, um, just 
for reference, my background, um, I went to UC Davis. I studied there. Um, I actually got the top score on the international test the year that I took it. Uh, I've worked in large to mid-sized craft breweries since. So I have a kind of very deep sense of how to run a clean and sanitary brewery. Um, so mixed fermentation with uh, <laughs> local fruit doesn't usually fit into that model, especially in the small, uh, it's about like 1,500 square foot brewery that we have. Um, so we kind of tabled a lot of ideas early on, but uh, this last year we were able to really push forward with this idea for Neon. So it's uh, not an oak aged beer. Uh, it's not a stainless aged beer. It's a wild ale. Uh, and wort actually goes directly into totes. So I don't know if tote fermented is going to ever <laughs> take, off. take yeah. off as a selling point, um, but we go directly into these large totes. Um, it's something people in natural wine use all sorts of vessels, anything they can find um, yeah. be between you know traditional vessels to just uh, you know uh, uh, concrete square to a plastic tote. Um, so. We give it a try. We're in the Midwest, um, so so much uh, beautiful produce and natural or um, local fruit comes out of here. A lot from Michigan, so um, we've made friends with uh, a handful of farms, mostly through um, great chefs and restaurants that we work with. Um, so we brought in a ton of local raspberries. Um, like an actual like two thousand pounds? No, uh, no, no, I think it was four hundred pounds. Yeah, four hundred right. pounds. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. felt like a lot. Um, yeah. Once we got into <laughs> yeah, <that's> significant, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once we got into some other fruits, it felt like even more. Yeah. But, um, for the original neon, the gesture was always that it's supposed to be vibrant, bright, fruit forward. Um, but the beer, it's um, it's got a complex sour. It's got a bunch of different breads in there. It's got some PDO. It's got everything. Um, so it's got a balanced complexity, but definitely fruit forward bone dry um, super refreshing so uh, we were able to get it into bottles and out in may yeah in may so we were able to hit it hard in summer we kept this as our first beer we've done as tap room only um, we've we've always allowed our beers to go sell elsewhere but we just had so little of it this year um, we just sold out and we're sold yeah. out so yeah. uh, we're kind of um, stuck to the seasons uh, based on local produce and this year with the polar vortex coming through the Midwest and just super wet I'm sure you've seen national news all about it but uh, produce is uh, um, and just farms in general are, are struggling to, to get stuff out so everything was a little late this year everything was a little more expensive and there was just less fruit to go around but we've got peaches nectarines black raspberry blackberry, blueberry, a uh, whole bunch of things yeah. in the works. So hoping to get some more neons out. Cool. Yeah. You brought up natural wine as well, and you guys just did a festival mm. around that as well. And there's, there's mm. some really sort of fun, I don't know, correlations between, you know, I think the beers that you're trying to do and even just the philosophy that you all have mm. and, and, and that movement as well. Mm-hmm. I'm curious as to, you know, how that idea was born and, yeah. you know, what you see the connection as. So the first time I had a glass of natural wine, I picked up a ton of Brett in that wine. And I, I hope had, so, but yeah. <laughs> well, and I had heard that from years past um, that Brett, and maybe Stephen told me this because his very first job in the beverage industry was a wine crush in Oregon. And Brett is an off flavor. Yeah, wine. 100%. And... Yeah. 
Um, but I, I tasted this glass and there was so much breath in it, but it was lovely. I loved it. And so breaking down sort of the rules around what can exist in your glass around wine and or beer, um, it's just, it's really, it's fun and it's, it's freeing to approach something that way with, without the preconceived sort of baggage that you have around it. And so that was refreshing. And as a, a non-expert in the wine world, I know nothing about wine, but I like to drink it and I, I know what I like to drink. And so it's fun to approach that industry with, with that just hedonistic perspective. Yeah. Whereas, you know, sometimes when we drink beer, it's really hard for us to enjoy it um, because we're just thinking about uh, work. Sure. What we should be making next. Sure. Okay. Uh, oh, what did they use? I mean, it's enjoyable, right? We'll drink something and say, that's so good. What do you think they did? <laughs> and with wine, often with natural wine, we drink something. We just had a really great bottle over the weekend. We're like, I don't know what they did, but it's great. Um, and so we hope that people can also have our beer and have that reaction too. It's like, this is great. Whatever happened here. And you're not here to dissect it or... Yeah, yeah. And, and there is space for that, right? We want people to be able to intellectualize something we make because we take a lot of pride in our process and how we do things. But ultimately, the question of does it taste good is is really the most important piece. Um, so that's really what sort of made us think about the, the world's merging. Um, and so we... It was one of those uh, ideas we were taught. We kept talking about it, and we were like, "Well, why don't we just? We've never thrown a festival. Why don't we do that?" Um, and so that was our very first festival, a big event for us. In the grand scheme of things, it's kind of small. It's like 300 people. Okay. Uh, but we sold out, and uh, we had great food partners. We had great cider partners as well. Folks from Shaxbury came out, and then Overgrown Orchard here yeah, in Chicago yeah. was there. Um, so it was just a really the crowd was really great too. People were just so genuinely interested in and in everything that was being poured. Um, the lines at each of the tables were really long because everyone wanted to talk so much about each of the things they were pouring. Um, so it just felt it felt very natural. It didn't feel like we had to force it to to come together. But I think that's also important too because like. There's a lot of navel gazing that can exist mm. in beer right now as well, yeah. and to, you know, branch out into other exciting beverages or things that are you know, taking on sort of a life of their own and mm. you know having their own fan base. But you know, it can only help you guys expand as well. Yeah, and it, and to be completely honest, most people. I mean, that's the way how we drink beer. Yeah, we'll have beer with wine, with cocktails, uh, with a seltzer. You know. Like, we'll, we'll do all of it, um, and we think that's how most people also spend their evenings, sort of going back and forth between different beverages that they enjoy. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's just replicating that, but in, a, in our festival. Yeah. yeah. So you guys have a lot of, yeah, there is diversity in, in, in your tap list as well. Mm. Um, and you, we talked about you, that you made some tough decisions and you're you know, working on some new, uh, some, some new things as well. Um, what would you like the brewery to look like three years from now? Mm. Three years. That's good. Most people ask like one or five years. Three years is a <laughs> three good years time. Three years is a good time because it's like <laughs> almost. It's manageable. 
So that's yeah. that's funny because so Hopewell's like three and a half years old right now. So if mm-hmm. you asked us three years ago what Hopewell would look like, uh, we would not have guessed what no. it looks like right now. Um, so three years is a long time uh, for for a small business for a small brewery. Um, this is our first year with our canning line, um, and it's just been a thrill to get more beers out into cans into package see them travel a little bit further um and frankly doing the art on the cans is pretty fun too Mm -hmm. um seeing it seeing it actually come to life in a way that a a draft beer um just you know it doesn't have that visual effect um so we have a lot more plans for for uh packaged beer for cans um i think we're pretty pretty uh pretty excited to see where little buddy goes um that uh little buddy is the little stubby eight ounce cans um and that idea was born partly out of um, just pragmatism. When we bought the canning line, hmm. um, we bought from Twin Monkeys. They're out in Colorado. Um, we're seeing them more and more, so I think their business is doing well. But um, we really loved working with those guys, and they, they said 8-ounce uh, was a possibility, and we said, yeah, why not? Let's build that. Um, we didn't have a plan for an 8-ounce beer. Um, but we realized, Samantha and I, we throw a, a holiday party just over at our apartment every year. And we had all sorts of natural wines. People brought all sorts of whales of, of beers in, um, things that we can't keep up on but are super tasty. And you know, everyone's having tastes of different things, all these, these wild tastes and all these wild beverages. Um, and everyone also had in their hand... 16 ounces. 16-ounce <laughs> Pilsner that we had at the time. Yeah. And it's like, oh, wait, we just want, like eight ounces of pills to mix with all these other things uh it's how people drink you you know you don't need a ton of everything yeah Um, so we're i think this year is the first year little buddy uh you know uh this is the first year we've made little buddy and um i think in three years if we keep making uh more and more of that and people are enjoying it we'd be pretty happy one of the 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 things you you sort of touched on are the the can aesthetics and the and the art and uh, one of the things that I was sort of tickled uh, last year was you had had the imperial stout that came out that mm. looked like an mm. ugly Christmas yeah, sweater yeah, on the yeah. label. It's um, coming out in November this year. Okay. Yeah. But like, but there's there's some whimsy to mm-hmm. the cans, but mm-hmm. then it's also very clear branding as well. I, so we're sitting in your tap room and I'm looking at uh, Ride or Die and End Grain and Side Salad and Clover Club and all these other things that you have out there. And so you have the eights, you have the twelves, you have sixteens, um, but on all of your your branding, like your name, is there. Like the label art mm. is really cool, but it's identifiable by brand as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's also one of those things that gets lost, mm. especially in, in retail these days with aluminum can labels. Mm. Is hey, this is a really cool design, and that's a really funny drawing. Who makes this? Mm. And then I have to pick it up, and I have Turn to it, you know. Yeah. And maybe that maybe that'll help yeah. me. Right. buy the beer a little right. bit better but if, if I can see it from across the bar mm. that's almost better I think in, right. in, in some ways so you obviously yeah. put some thought into how you market this yeah and, and so because we um, are able to release so many more beers now that we have the canning line that we've freed up some space we're bringing in some more tanks in a few months as well um, we have so much more out there now or sometimes on a shelf, we'll have six different types of beer. Um, and we'll, we release new beers frequent enough where 
the designs are not necessarily recognizable in and of themselves. So the brand name, Hopewell being legible, was important so that uh, if people have a sense of trust around our beers, if they know that they like our beer, um, that that's the, the first entry, that they see our name and they say, oh, well, I had their their Engrain Merton, uh, and I liked it. And so I'll try their other, their new lager that they released. Um, because we, we hope that, and we think we have been building that sense of trust of we, we put out good, approachable, delicious beer. Um, we're really proud of it and that, and that it's something that it's, it's not, you know, we don't say that it's made for everyone because mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's sort of like a, a big beer thing yeah. that it's made for everyone. But we do like to think that it's, it's beer that you can enjoy with many different types of people. Um, so it, it is that like sense of trust that we hope that we've built around, around the many different styles that we make. Well, thanks so much for sitting down with me. This is yeah. so much fun. This is uh, cool to learn about the business, and you know, I'm curious to see where you guys are in three years. Us too. Five <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. That's Samantha Lee and Stephen Basu of Hopewell Brewing in Chicago, recorded at their brewery a few weeks back. My thanks to them for talking. Before we go, I want to let you know that this episode was sponsored by Cigar City Brewing. Hunapu Day is coming up on March 13th, 2020 at the Emily Arena in Tampa. Join a few thousand fellow beer drinkers to enjoy Imperial Stouts, talk directly with the brewers, and be the envy of your beer friends. With more than 100 breweries in attendance, it is a true craft experience for all beer drinkers. The festival should be on every beer bucket list, and if you go once, there's a good chance you'll like a return year after year, just like I do. Learn more at cigarcitybrewing.com events. So we're six episodes into this podcast, and I hope you've enjoyed each episode so far. Subscribing and even leaving a review on your podcast platform goes a long way to helping other people find the show. Like what you hear? Have suggestions? Want to tell me about someone you think I should get on mic? Drop me a note at John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L, at BeerEdge.com, or join me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. This podcast is produced by Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. A subscription to Beer Edge provides readers with smart and critical insights into the business and culture of beer. We talk directly to the players making an impact and report stories our audience has not heard before. The team at Beer Edge offers up a fresh and unfiltered look at the world of beer. Subscribe at BeerEdge.com. Nate Schweber does our music. Jeff Quinn designed our logo. And new episodes of this podcast are available every Wednesday. And for now, that's it for this week. I'll be back next week to drink beer and think beer. And I hope you'll tune in. Cheers. Hey!